Good afternoon. It's just gone one o'clock on a Tuesday. That means it's time for the Daily Maverick Show. I am your host, Stilly Shirolamus. I'm joined in an intimate studio alongside <laughs> Simon Allison, bedroom weather outside, and the two of us cozying up to each other in the studio. Welcome, Simon. <laughs> Thanks for that slightly creepy introduction, <laughs> Well, uh, just the two of us here today, uh, and hopefully getting uh, Ranjani Munasami on the phone later on, uh, crossing live from a press conference that uh, NUMSA is hosting, uh, that uh, NUMSA hosting to a Kasasi conference as well. Um, big news of the week. Um, but before we get into that, uh, as usual, we'll start off with some interesting uh, tidbits from the First Thing newsletter, also going out as the Daily Dose newsletter to the Cliff Central audience. Um, some interesting developments in Egypt with the military group um, expressing support for ISIS. What does that mean for Egypt and the continent as it starts to spread? Well, um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, blow the Daily Mavericks trumpet here, um, which we're going to do. We're going to do more of that later on in the show as well. So just just be prepared, listeners. But um, we did talk about this. I, I wrote an article mm-hmm. on this about three months ago. Um explicitly warning that the Islamic State, you know, ISIS, whatever you want to call it, the guys operating in Syria and Iraq and causing complete carnage wherever they go, that they had their eyes on Africa and that Africa was particularly vulnerable. And one of the groups that we warned about was an Egyptian group called Ansar Beit al-Maqdis, also known as Ansar Jerusalem. And they operate in the in the Sinai Peninsula, which is, you know, that little, little bit of territory between the Middle East and, and well, between the sort of Arab world proper and Egypt, you know, it sort of mm-hmm. straddles Europe and, and Asia. And they go after government uh, army targets, a um, little bit in, in Cairo as well, but, but mostly they operate, you know, they're targeting convoys and roadblocks and that kind of thing. And what we said is, 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 is that the ideology of these guys was so closely linked to what the Islamic State is preaching and there, uh, there's reason to, you know, to believe that, that, that there is some sort of cross-pollination, that the guys in Ansar Beit al-Maqdis are taking definitely inspiration, possibly even operational tips and strategies from the guys in the Islamic State. And also, if you're a little unknown group in the middle of Egypt and you want a bit of, bit of notoriety, now remember the, you know, the whole point of terrorism is you want to cause terror. Um, mm. And the only way to do that is to actually be known, you know. Mm. You, you gotta, you gotta, gotta bring the fear. Mm. And the best way to bring the fear is to actually align yourself with these bigger, badder groups. So, for Ansar Beit al-Maktis, it makes perfect sense. They're sitting there in Egypt, they say, well, we're doing the same thing as ISIS. We are copying their strategy. Why don't we just align with them? Mm. And that way, great franchise opportunity. You know, it's a great franchise opportunity. It works for them. It works for, works ISIS, for ISIS. You know, suddenly ISIS looks scary because ISIS now, because mm-hmm. also this week, or might have been end of last week, um, Ansar al Sharia, which is a group operating in Libya, in Benghazi, they officially declared themselves part of the Islamic Caliphate. So now, the Islamic State has territory in four separate countries. It's astonishing. Mm-hmm. Iraq, Syria, Egypt, and Libya. In Egypt, they don't technically have territory. They're still a more of a guerrilla group. But, mm-hmm. I mean, they have they have a 
operations in four separate countries. Mm. They're becoming McDonald's, the golden arches of, <laughs> yes. of, of terrorism. But a, a scary thought for the continent and also, I mean, you know, regional expansion and dominance uh, is happening. Um, you know, and what next? How far south? You know, well, already the, the the horrendous bombing yesterday in Nigeria, um, the suicide mm. bombing in the school, which killed I think forty eight. It was in, it was a school assembly, mm. and some f- fucker just went in there with explosives trapped to him and exploded in the middle of it. At least forty eight kids killed. You know, just completely mm. senseless mm. stuff. Now, I see a direct link between the success of ISIS and what's happening there. I mean, sure, Boko Haram and Nigeria have always been pretty brutal, mm. but this is. This is this is just gratuitous brutality. It's it's not you know, it, it's it's designed to make the point that they are brutal, as opposed mm-hmm. to making mm-hmm. you know some mm-hmm. other political point. Mm-hmm. And and that's because ISIS has done the same thing and it's worked. Um, they've gained international notoriety. They've used it to gain territory. Mm-hmm. They've somehow managed to to you know retain some degree of popular support as well. And so Boko Haram is sitting there and thinking, well, it's it's working for them. Why won't it work for us? And I think it will work for Boko Haram as well. That's the, the, the terribly depressing thing about all of this. Well, that's the uh, uh, the first thing newsletter. You'll get a wrap-up of uh, things that happened while you were sleeping. Unfortunately, there's usually a lot of death and destruction that happens while we're sleeping. Um, but it is fresh <laughs> news in your inbox in the morning. Uh, and we usually lighten it up with a, with a random fact. Um, Simon, are you a, a James Bond fan? Uh, who's not a James Bond fan? Exactly, and if you're not, then you know what's wrong with you. Um, now, over the years, a lot of famous people have auditioned or been considered or for the role uh, and turned down. Some really famous guys like Hugh Jackman has turned down the role. Ewan McGregor has turned down the role. Uh, people have been considered uh, but didn't quite make it. Uh, Robbie Williams was once considered. No. Yeah, was, no. was once considered for it. But outside of the sort of the actor entertainment uh, industry, two very interesting names popped mm. up. When I was looking into this mm-hmm. in my spare time, as I do, <laughs> the first is adventurer explorer Ranaf Fiennes, who uh, oh, wow. was considered and, and sort of made the last six, but uh, was uh, cut at the end because um, the producer Cubby Broccoli said he's uh, he looked he had the face of a farmer and his hands were too big, <laughs> so uh, didn't quite make it. Um, and then the other interesting one, which I thought was quite fascinating, was Lord Lucan. Uh, the the mystery man uh, was asked to Whoa. audition for the part of James Bond, uh, and apparently bizarre. he had auditioned in other movies. And this is kind of how it came up and was uh, was asked audition, but I think he declined that. But uh, yeah, it's so, completely bizarre. Yeah, you know, I like I really like the idea of Reynolds Fiennes actually because it would. He, I mean, I'm sure he had, who knows if he can act or not, but yeah. he'd actually bring the skills. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like able to do. He could do all the things James Bond claims to be able to do. Yeah, he wouldn't need stunt um, doubles, yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, a random fact included in your in your first thing newsletter and daily dose newsletter. Um, can can so, we take away from this that you don't, you know, the real life James Bond aren't nearly as, as handsome. They actually have farmers' hands and yeah, they, they do. They look like faces. farmers and, bi- yeah. and big hands. Which gives yeah. gives gives a bit of hope for the rest of us. Yeah, uh, and yeah, probably don't wear tuxes too often. Um, yeah. And in some other shameless self-promotion, uh, Brain Porn, the best of Daily Maverick Volume 1, has hit the shelves. Uh, it's the second book published by the Daily Maverick team. And uh, Simon, you've got, uh, you've got two articles that have been included uh, in this. First of all, Stilly, um, I hope my mother's not listening because this was meant to be her surprise birth, her surprise Christmas present. Sorry, Mom. Um, <laughs> blame Stilly. Uh, yes, I've, I've, I've got two articles in it. Uh, 
It's a really cool book. I was just paging through it the other mm. day, and like, I, yeah, you know, sure, we're all daily maverick here. We, we love our own stuff, mm. but we, we've, we've published some really, really good things in there. Well, I'll tell you, I, I was involved in the process of um, selecting the shortlist, uh, and the process was kind of we'd published by then something like thirteen or fourteen thousand original feature length articles really? in five years, which is a hell of a number. Um, and we needed to get it down mm. to about a hundred. And uh, the editor Branko Brickett and I were, um, we decided that we'll take it to a hundred, uh, and then we'll let the publishers decide from there. So that we have plausible deniability. <laughs> that uh, when they're it, angry, you're angry, right? Yeah. When they say, "Why was this not?" Included? When the mob turns on us yeah. and says, "Why weren't we included?" Uh, we can we can play that card. Um, and so that process of getting it down to 100, uh, the sort of top 100 was a combination of uh, sort of themes. The book is broken into themes, the Guptas, Oscar, um, Madiba, uh, and a couple other themes. We broke it into major themes that we thought would serve as a, as a sort of a, a snapshot of of South African history, in in particular the you know the topics that we covered, you know what were the major events, and uh, from there we then drilled down, looked at what were the most read stuff, and and some articles that weren't uh, as read as much as others, obviously because there's been this phenomenal growth rate over over the years. So a great piece from five years ago might have only had a couple thousand reads, whereas you know nowadays we've had a couple that have gone over hundred thousand, um, hundred thousand reads. So and then and kind of balancing, you know, trying to make sure that everyone got a little bit of recognition. But uh, yeah, the the two pieces um, that your, yours made was um, in the chapter and the think again uh, was lessons from a Zambian vice president oh. uh, who's now now, now, now Zambian, Zambian president, president. You know, <laughs> um, so again, sort of kind of calling. Uh, Kind of calling, calling the shots there and uh, ahead of the ahead of the time. Uh, tell us a little bit about that piece and what made you write uh, write that piece. Well, you know, it was it was when was it? Was it last year or the year before? When uh, Guy Scott gave an interview to the Guardian in London to to David Smith, their African correspondent, and in it he said all these completely outrageous things about South Africa, about how we're arrogant mm. and we're sort of bullies and we, mm. you know, we 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 don't have we don't really respect. Um, the role that, that other African countries played in our own liberation movement, you know. You've got the, the ANC who, who was born in the camps in Zambia and Tanzania now turning their back on, on the continent. Did that he actually his... call us the Americans of Africa or was that something that we sort of paraphrased he, out of, out I, of that? I can't remember if he, if he actually used that phrase or not. Um, but that is essentially, that's what he was doing. I, it's, it's more likely we're the Texans, um. I think, rather than the Americans. <laughs> I mean, the Texans. And, you know, there was a lot of outcry in this country about, well, how dare he say this, you know, mm, uh, how yeah. dare he insult us. Mm. No, we're not arrogant. We're pan-African. We're all this, you know. And it was nonsense. We are a horrible species mm. whenever we leave this country, um, mm. even inside this country. And especially to the rest of the continent. Um, especially we, we to do the rest a- Actually, the everything you said was spot on. Sp- exactly right. And wherever I go in Africa... I'm constantly fighting the battles to be the good South African. I'm mm. sure I don't always mm. succeed, mm. but I'm trying to prove that, A, you know, we're not all racist. We're not all arrogant. We're not mm. all dismissive of the things that we see. We don't think that the rest of Africa is this third world mm. hellhole. And it's it's a hard battle because mm. cause a lot of the people that do go to these countries, you know, mm. you'd get these... I don't know, these, these, these Santon boys who work in accounting firms who mm. get sent mm. to... Uh, South Sudan for three months to do a project. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you know, 
they don't know anything about the rest of Africa. They don't know what to mm. expect. They live in their hotel. They, uh, you know, they aren't aren't sort of accustomed to to dealing with the cultural norms mm. and the mm. sensitivities and, and enforcing and they, their own views because they know better, yeah, right? And exactly. How could the continent exactly. possibly teach us anything? Exactly. And so, so the, you know, we do have a, a tendency to come across as brash and arrogant. And so, so Guy Scott, Guy Scott picked it, and mm. uh, he was right. And it's mm. quite refreshing to hear a, mm. a leader just talk honestly. Mm. It was it was lovely and made for great copy as well. And the other piece that you had included was uh, Madoncella, its animal farm and the pigs are feeding. Obviously, yeah. uh, this was one of the uh, the articles referring to the Nkandla scandal. Um, and there's a whole section dedicated to a homestead in the hills. <laughs> uh, what was that piece about briefly? This was, so, so I, you know, I don't normally actually cover South African stories. And... But this was this was the, the days after Natuli Maranzela launched the Encandla report, mm-hmm. and she was doing a couple of select public appearances. And, and, and Branko, our editor, asked me to go along. We were very stretched. He said, "Simon, can you just go along and cover this?" So I went. Um, it was at Vitz at the Senate, I think, in the Senate House. You know, this huge auditorium, packed to the rafters with students. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Tuli Maranzela walked in, and. The atmosphere was just electric. You know, I've been to hundreds of, we've all been to conferences and speeches and lectures and you get good ones and you get bad ones. But this one, there was something different about it. There, there was this just sense of, of this was a momentous occasion. This was something that South Africa was going to talk about for the rest of its history, you know. And of course mm. it has been. Kandla mm. is the defining issue of, mm. of Jacob Zuma's tenure. Mm. And finding someone and on the government payroll willing to willing stand to up, do, exactly, to stand up to what exactly, was going on. You know, Tuli Martinsella represented and, and still does so many good things about South Africa. Mm. You know, she represents the checks and balances, the uh, the the future, the, the hope that we have that the things are going to turn out okay. And that was palpable in this room. And then she started speaking, and you know, she's such a gentle mm. person. She doesn't raise her voice. She doesn't speak. She's not monotonous, but she doesn't speak in loud. It's a soothing, you know? it's it's a a soothing, soothing exactly. calm. You almost, you know, you just listen tone. to her and you're like, okay, all is right <laughs> with the world. And what she did is, and I thought this was just so clever, is she was reluctant to, you know, I don't think she wanted to tackle the deeper political issues head on, you know. So she was presenting the findings of a report. That said, it was for the rest of us to reach conclusions about what this meant about Jacob Zuma and his administration and the government, you know, whether it was corrupt and da, da, da. that was for us to reach. But she wanted to say it anyway, but she couldn't. So she found a way to do it and she, and she used metaphor. And she told, all she did was she told the story of Animal Farm, you know, George Orwell's mm. epic, or not epic, but sort of seminal novel, um, where, of course, the animals take over the farm from the, from the farmers. Um, and it's all this lovely revolution and all the animals mm. are equal, but some animals, of course, are, are mm. more equal mm. than others. And in, 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 in the book, it was the pigs. Um, so all she did was, was, was tell the story, but, but what she was saying was unmistakable. Mm. She was the pigs, was the, was, was Zuma and his, his sort of coterie around him. Mm. Um, the taking over the farm was the end of the end of apartheid. The pigs feeding at the trough. I mean, what a what an evocative mm. image! Mm. And, and I can't get it out of my head every time I think of Nkandla, I think of Jacob Zuma with his face in a, <laughs> in, in, a in a sort of thing of pig swill. <laughs> 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 it's um, it, it, it's funny you mentioned George Orwell today. I was giving a talk uh, to, to I was invited to talk to a bunch of people on a on a sort of um, 
I don't call it a self-improvement course, but a leadership course. And uh, someone asked me, what is good journalism? And um, the answer I gave was to quote George Orwell, mm-hmm. which is uh, and and his take on journalism, which was which was. Um, Journalism is printing stuff people don't want to hear. Everything else is public relations. Um, and, That's fantastic. And, uh, and I just absolutely love that quote. And honestly, you know, picking up this book, um, you know, that I think it embodies, you know, what, what that is. There's no holds barred. No one is, uh, no one's, there are no holy cows. There are a lot of people who are <laughs> taken down to Chinatown, uh, in this book. And, um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had fun going through it and, um, you know, honestly putting it together. Yeah, we're picking the ones and, and putting them together. Do you, besides your ones, obviously, mm. do you have a, a favorite um, in there? I think, um, or a couple of favorites. You no, know, I'm always I'm always reluctant to praise Richard Poplack. I know because he just gets because so much. He, of a, it. he gets so much, and B, every time I read his articles, it makes me doubt my own <laughs> sort of ability. I'm like, well, why am I know, here? Exactly. Why I might as I well here? just give up. Why now. am I here? But I have to say, my my personal favorite is is the one where he goes to the EFF rally mm. a few days before the election. I think it was their final rally, mm. and he and he talks about uh, he compares Julius Malema to a to a bright red Teletubby, yeah. um, and and just the. The sheer, you know, and what I liked about that is, is it combined Poplak's incredible gift for, for description and, uh, and, and, and analogy. Commentary. And, yeah. but he combined it with, with this real actual event. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it got the, the hard news mm-hmm. was coupled with this amazing sense of impending doom, I think. Mm-hmm. A slash excitement. It was, yeah. it was a weird vibe, yeah. you know. You didn't know whether you should be excited about the EFF And recreated it so you could almost imagine you were there. I was there, right? you know. Yeah. I was absolutely there. So it was, it was brilliant. I, I loved that one. What about, what's yours? Um, I, I gotta say, I mean, look, there's obviously. Besides the, my two, obviously. Yeah, besides yeah. your two. Uh, there, there are a couple, um, in here. I, I thought, um, again, a pop black piece, an, an uncontrolled creep. Um, was, which is one yeah, of my all-time favorite ones. I felt like, you know, after I'd read it, uh, I wanted to have relations with it and put it up <laughs> on a canvas in the Louvre. You know, uh, you know, I think he had included uh, unicorns with lasers on their head somehow into an essay about Nkandla. How does he do that? You know, uh, it and it worked, right? Um, I, I, there was a, there was a great one. I mean, there's so many good ones, and there's obviously. I think one of the only pieces we've ever, one of the more chilling ones, um, was a piece that we published, uh, by Anonymous. It's one of the few times we've, we've ever kept this person's identity, uh, an author's identity secret. It was, um, uh, thought, I w- the, the title of the article was thought I would say to, thought I would say hi to a couple of rapists. Um, and this person, writes a story of how his wife got raped in her teens by these two guys, uh, you know, suburb, white, middle-class, suburban South Africans, um, and how that affected their relationship over the years. And um, basically, you know, t- talked about, you know, imagine how their lives w- would have carried on regardless of, of what they did. And uh, it, it, was a, it was a chilling story and, and, and just another another rape tale that this country has to have. And, uh, yeah, only two people know who that person is. He's quite a famous um, uh, person. 
um, and was published on condition of, of anonymity. Uh, and in, but an incredibly moving piece. And uh, I remember that piece well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those there actually are so many great pieces in here. I mean, you, you know, you've got the book, and um, yeah, I. I I can't wait to to dish these out as as Christmas gifts to as many people as I can. Now, Stilly, talk me through the the economics of of publishing a book because we've published a, a couple now. We published Richard Poplack's collection of mm-hmm. of his Hannibal Lecter columns, mm-hmm. and now we've got this, which is another collection. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, is this a is this a way the the, the media industry well for, for the Daily Maverick is this a good way for us to be going? Um, it is. Look, it's it's not going to be paying too many people's bills going <laughs> forward. Uh, they're very, very for the economics of of book publishing, especially in this country. Um, you know, author, most authors, it's not their only job. Um, you don't make money out of books in South Africa. There are very, very few people. In order to do that, um, you need to sell upwards of a hundred thousand copies, and there are very, very Ouch. few that can sell, that have sold those. I think looking back to speaking to publishers, um, kind of books that have done it was Mandy Wiener's Killing Kebble. Mm-hmm. I mean, sold close to 90,000. Um, there was, uh, The New Meal Revolution by Tim Noakes okay. is 130,000 okay. or so. I believe Jake White's book sold uh, around mm-hmm. that. And then I think the Spud books and, and that was about it. And I think the people are hold, are hoping that the uh, latest uh, again Manuina's book on Oscar might do well, but mm. um, yeah, it's really really difficult. I mean, to get onto the bestseller list, you need to sell five thousand copies. Mm. Uh, if you make five, if you sell Jeez. five thousand copies, bestseller, uh, you know, I think it's like a sixty k royalty check or something along which those lines, which is which is not a lot. I mean, especially if you're putting like a year yeah. into work. So, our book industry really does need a, a shakeup. Uh, our book reading public is very, very, very small. I believe it's, you know, the sort of the eighty twenty principle does does apply for books at twenty mm. percent of the customers buy eighty percent of the books. Okay. Um. So, um. Yeah, it, it is quite tough, but uh, there are a couple of reasons. Um. Why, uh, why we do it. It's not just the economics and trying to make, trying to make money out of it. Um, it's, it's also just about giving, uh, just about giving, um, people something physical, um, to hold on to something physical from the Daily Maverick, um, you know, being digital only. And there's all this good stuff, you know, I mean, the, the average reader only reads about six or seven articles a month mm. and we produce about 300. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's quite, uh, you know, it's also just being able to give to our readers something they can physical to, and if this all goes tits up, they goes, you know, there's is proof there a, that we existed. Is there a marketing benefit as well? There is, yeah. It's good branding. See it in the shops. Um, people pass it on. Um, you know, the print, um, you know, the print book lives, lives for a long time, you know, and, and people pass it on. And look, and there's also hope that we'll get it into universities. I think a lot of this stuff would be great to, um, you know, pop up in a journalism course or a political science mm. course. Um, you know, because in, in the case of Richard's book, uh, probably the most comprehensive account of the 2014 national elections. Mm. Um, you know, given the, the breadth and the width of the coverage, how many different parties were covered, rallies that were, that were gone to, and also written in a hugely entertaining style. I mean, uh, that would have made political mm. s- science studies a whole lot more, uh, entertaining, <laughs> you know? I mean, you thinking back to your days. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's brain porn, the best of Daily Mavericks, uh, last five year, first five years. 
Uh, and yeah, we'll be making that as a, as an annual. I hope that was not a Freudian no, 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 no. slip. <laughs> the last five years, which are also the first five <laughs> years. Um, and on the line, we've got uh, Ranjini Munasami, who is uh, outside Kasatu House. Is that right, Ranjini? Yes, I am. Um, the bus, the hive of activity because uh, with all the broadcast vans and families gathering outside, the concert is highly anticipated because. Since the decision was taken to expound them in the early hours of Saturday morning, Kosato hasn't said anything formally on the matter. So we're waiting to see, uh, to hear, uh, particularly what are the reasons for the expulsion. According to Irvin Jim, the General Secretary of NUMSA, um, he claims that there are five charges that which they have to answer to. Um, but it'd be interesting to see what, what exactly is Kosato's rationale behind this. Um, but the other thing to watch, is whether Zanindji Mavavi, the General Secretary of Kosato, will be at this press conference. Because uh, from what I understand, um, from from a meeting that happened yesterday, the National Office Bearers of Kosato, apparently Bavi made it clear that he does not support the decision um, to expel NUMSA. Um, and so it's really interesting to see if he actually is in this press conference and is willing to um, stand behind the decision of the of collective. Well, he's got some very big decisions to make himself. I mean, with his future, which side of the you know which side of the road is he going to take? Uh, and that's the big question on everyone's lips. Yes, you know we, we've been writing on this consistently, you know, trying to figure out what Bobby's options are and what he should be doing. You know, he's 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 been on the he's, his career has been on the line for for over two years now at the um, Kosatu National Congress in. September 2012, already then they were uh, moved to unseat him from his position. And from then, he's been in a rather precarious position. Um, and then, uh, from from early last year, he's been facing charges of financial impropriety. And then you would know that the, the, the allegations of sexual misconduct was added to that when he was um, found to have had sex with a junior staffer at Kosato House. So at the moment, he's facing nine charges. And it seems that the majority of the members of the Central Executive Committee want to reinstate the disciplinary process against him. And now with NUMSA, which was the biggest union within Kusatu, with them gone, he doesn't really have anybody to defend him. Uh, and, and to back him, we must know that NUMSA, backed by eight other um, unions, also went to court on his behalf to have him reinstated. They won that matter, and which is why Bavi is back at Kusatu House. But yesterday you would know that there was um, media briefing by seven um, unions who came out to say that they back NUMSA, they do not support the decision to expel NUMSA, but also that they will stand behind Vavi. Um, and they were suspending their participation in Kosatu for now. So, you know, the situation is really, really delicate. And um, I don't know how the leadership of Kosatu is going to react to that. From what I understand, they were caught off guard by that decision yesterday. Of, uh, by the seven unions, they just thought that there'd be a strong statement in support of NIMSA, but I don't think that they anticipated that what would ha- actually happen is that those unions would suspend their participation. So what you have is that out of two million members of societies, half, an effective half of the membership is now not supporting the leadership of societies. It could lead to a vote of no confidence in the leadership of societies, and also that, they, that this does have political implications, which are yet to be seen. Ranjini, what is at the heart of, of this breakup? What, what were the causes that drove the wedge between NUMSA and the Kasachi leadership? I think that the the, 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 the the matter at the bottom of it is that there's a fundamental difference in the ideological standing between NUMSA, 
on what Nusra believes and what the rest of the Kusati leadership believes. Um, I, I think you will find that the Kusati president, Sumat uh, Lamini, together with the leadership of the NUM, Nihau, Sadhu, they are generally supportive of the general direction of the African National Congress, um, and they are willing to go out to bat for the ANC and whatever it does. And uh, the, the problem with NUMSA, as well as Bavi, is that they have been highly critical of the, of the uh, particularly the economic trajectory of the ANC government, but generally, you know, on, on things like uh, on corruption, on issues like in Kandla, um, on, on the general approach of the ANC in terms of how it engages society. So, you know, those things are irreconcilable, irreconcilable, and I think that's what made the situation so untenable now. Is the decision final? I mean, is NUMSA out? Is there any way back for NUMSA into the uh, into Kusatu from here? Well, NUMSA is considering taking the decision um, under view to court at the moment because they claim that the, the, the way that the expulsion was carried out was unprocedural. So they may still challenge it in court. However, they, 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 they're holding their own central committee meeting within a few days. They're going to decide whether they should, in fact, go to court or not to challenge it or whether it's just no longer even worth it. Um, you know, they, they believe that it has become something of an empty shell and it may not even be worth challenging it because they, they also have intentions of, um, of starting their own federation. So, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if that, that the decision will be reversed or, uh, or, or whether they will actually challenge it ultimately. A couple of days ago, you wrote a piece saying, "Imagine an alliance of uh, of Malema, Vavi, Jim, uh, and Matundra. You know, all all working together in some sort of left leaning front would be sort of the uh, the scariest day for the ANC in a long, long time if that happened. Um, and, and people are looking to it as almost." You know, an opportunity for for a mobilized and a strong and big enough effective opposition to come into place. Do they? I mean, and but we've seen in the past breakaway groups, uh, you know, like Cope, and I mean, if we can even call a Khang that a party political flop stroke platform that happened. Uh, what is the risk of? Those kind of those kind of um, failures to 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 organize themselves into a proper party. What are the risks of those happening here? Well, that remains to be seen. The thing is that NUMSA is an extremely strong union. They're financially strong, but they're also organizationally. Their structures are are very well organized, and um, they have a membership of three hundred and sixty thousand. So it's not like Cope walking out with Lakota and whoever, or Julius Malema walking out with him and just him and Floyd. These are actual members, and that because you know they have resonance with other unions as well. So you, you may see a whole chunk of Kosati going with them. So I think that this is it is a seminal moment in, in South African politics. One because you know it's the breakup of Kosati, which was such a strong force against apartheid, but also because that you know for the first time we've seen such a huge chunk of the membership now leaving in a in a you know or, or being expelled. Um, and going with their leadership. So, you know, that, that may have implications at the polls, um, but that's still two years away or a year and a half away, so it remains to be seen. But yes, the point I was making in that piece is that I think a, a coordinated um, a force between Julius and um, uh, Julius Malema, Joseph um, Matinjwa uh, from Anku, Jenny Mavavi, and Urban Jim will be something very formidable to, to contend with. And I don't know if the NC has the kind of people that can take them on. Ranjani, I've got a question for you. So, 
you know, if, say a new force such as this this emerges, you know, it, it would be one very focused on on workers' rights. Um, that would sort of be the foundation, as far as I understand. But how would that fit into a South African political context when actually a large part of the voting population are not workers? Um, you know, is, sorry, uh, sorry, I didn't hear that. So, so you know, you got 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 Numsa and Kusatu all on about workers' rights, and and they're sort of seen as though, you know, speaking for the people. But the people don't have jobs. So many of them in this country. Um, who's who's talking? You know, who, who who's going after the unemployed? Um, what political front? Would, would, well, would, well, the, the economic freedom fighters, to a large extent, are going, uh, to, uh, going after the, the unemployed uh, constituency in the country because society uh, and its unions are, are very much uh, organizing in the well, you know, organized workers. But uh, I think that you may, may find them now extending the scope because the aim of this, um, uh, the, the United Front that NUMSA wants to launch is, is basically to be able to organize the working class, which, uh, which includes the unemployed. So, you know, it's, it's everybody outside the, or below the middle class. So I think that you, you would find that more people, uh, you know, trying to tap into what NUMSA is saying and NUMSA reaching out, or the United Front that will be launched with violence, uh, that it will reach out to these kinds of constituencies that are at the moment neglected. And to, to see that manifesting itself in sort of delivery process and things that there is no actual political leadership um, you know, that are leading these communities. And I think that you would find that this new force may be able to reach out to them. Uh, <clears throat> Ranjini, we, I think we're going to leave it there. Uh, we know the press conference is about to kick off if it is kicking off on time and hopefully you don't have to spend another midnight, past midnight out at uh, Kasatu House. Um, thank you very much for joining us again today. Um, my pleasure, guys. Thank you. Cheers, Ranjini. Um, so yeah, some really interesting developments on the on the South African political scene, and I think um, you know Kasatu played such an important part in the history of South African mm. politics, and looks like it will again just in reverse. Absolutely, uh, it's it's a big development, and I think if I was the ANC, I'd be cucking myself right now. Um, this is the kind of thing that could take serious serious votes away. Mm. Um, you think of the membership membership of Nomsa. Alone, but but not just. I mean, how how much is it? Three hundred fifty thousand. Now extrapolate that to that membership and their dependents, mm-hmm. um, and, and the other unions that are, that are, are in support that, that are going to follow suit. That's yeah. suddenly a pretty sizable uh, mm-hmm. voting block. Well, I think that was uh, the point Ranjini was making in her piece was you know start adding all those up the influence yeah. of those people plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the support that uh, Julius Malema and uh, Joseph Matunjwa have have garnered and put all together into one left leaning you know front and all of a sudden you've got a pretty big force to deal with. Actually, um, I'm, I'm, you know the ANC must be scared, but also the DA because mm-hmm. suddenly their their mantle as the sort of unchallenged official opposition mm-hmm. could well be under threat, and that's probably a good thing because. A left-leaning opposition would really have a lot more credibility than mm. um, than the DA has ever had. I think it's with uh, it's the same as with mo- most things. You know, more competition, the better, right? For the for for the people in the public, and uh, we we could certainly do with some more better, effective opposition, political Absolutely. opposition in in this country. Um, what else? What else have you been working on, Simon? Some, uh, I, you know, I've, I've been looking into a very interesting story. Um, over the last couple of days, and it, it's one of it's been sort of 
in my mind for a while, but I've only started sort of digging into it recently. Naspers, right? Mm-hmm. These guys own DSTV, MultiChoice, Media24, which is all the big boys, Built yep. City Press, News24, of mm-hmm. course, Daily Sun. I mean, in terms of media in this country, Naspers is one of the biggest, or if not the biggest. Uh, they're one of the biggest owner. in the world. One of the biggest in the, the world. world. There I we mean, go. They're, they're up there. They're huge. Huge, yeah. So, one of their, their, their main uh, cash cow is a company called Tencent mm-hmm. in China. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Tencent is Asia's largest tech company. It's mm-hmm. Asia's mm-hmm. Google, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they do, they offer two main services. One's called QQ, which is like an online chat service, and the other is WeChat. Um, mm-hmm. r- listeners to the, the Cliff Central will, 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 uh, will be very familiar mm-hmm. with WeChat. WeChat. Yeah. Uh, now, Tencent, so this this Asian company, is valued at um, something, uh, not exactly right, but in the region of 65 billion US dollars, which is a tidy chunk mm-hmm. of change. Mm-hmm. Naspers, in its entirety, including the stake in Tencent that they own, mm-hmm. sorry, sorry, Naspers stake in Tencent mm-hmm. is valued at 60-something billion dollars. Mm-hmm. So the, the bit that mm-hmm. Naspers owns is 65 billion dollars. Mm-hmm. The whole of Naspers, in its entirety, is only valued at something like 60 billion dollars, including mm-hmm. the stake, mm-hmm. because the rest of the company is dragging down mm-hmm. um, this highly profitable share. Mm-hmm. So the extent to which Naspers relies on Tencent mm-hmm. is huge. Um, mm-hmm. That's where their profits are coming. That's what's mm-hmm. driven the share price up over the last mm-hmm. few years. Now, the problem comes in when you look closely into Tencent and WeChat and its relationship with the Chinese government. Now, certain tech companies, I'm thinking particularly of Facebook and Twitter, are banned in China mm-hmm. because they've refused to allow themselves to be censored mm-hmm. by China. They're not going to, they won't let China dictate what search terms must be excluded and what articles must mm-hmm. be blocked and handing over well, information to users. A lot, a lot of users. Chinese people still do access those sites, mostly no, absolutely. through proxy servers. Absolutely. You know, they're but they're not officially mm-hmm. sanctioned. Yeah. Uh, Tencent and WeChat um, actively cooperate with the Chinese government. Mm-hmm. So a recent example, the, the protests in Hong Kong. Um, if you were a WeChat user in mainland China, you could not access any posts on WeChat that mentioned the word Hong Kong and democracy. You also could not receive any pictures from a WeChat user with a Hong Kong number. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is active, you know, going into the system and actively restricting the flow of information. Mm-hmm. They also, you know, hand over user details to the Chinese government. They block certain accounts. Um, WeChat mm-hmm. and Tencent are an active part of the Chinese censorship machine. It's a scary, it's a scary issue because you know uh, ringleaders, for example, mm-hmm. trying to track down people. Uh, exactly. You know, using the communications mm-hmm. in prosecution. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it ends up being quite a scary, a scary concept. It, it's a very scary thing. You know, it's a, it, it, it is the sign of a of, a, of an authoritarian. Mm-hmm. Dangerous authoritarian regime. It's mm-hmm. the it's the nasty side of of the Chinese government. So what are the risks here for Naspers? Um, well, you know, I think Naspers as a company, their sort of position on this. And I, I asked them. They said, "Well, look, we we operate in 130 countries, or something like that, mm-hmm. and we just obey the local laws. And these are the local laws, you know. And also, we we don't actively operate Tencent. You know, we're a shareholder, 34 percent." shareholder or something so it's it's their their management decisions Mm -hmm. um you know fine but i'm i'm more interested in in what 
Media 24 thinks of this. Mm. Now, Media 24 have been, you know, like all independent media groups in this country, fighting against the secrecy bill mm. and the, you know, en- encroaching on media freedoms. Mm. They have some wonderful journalists working for them, um, some wonderful editors. I'm thinking particularly of Ferial Hafiji, mm-hmm. who last week won a, a – from the Committee to Protect Journalists, she won a Global Free Speech Award. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adrian Basson, mm-hmm. um, editor of Bild, mm-hmm. who is you know, one of the finest yeah. investigative journalists in this country. Stalwarts. They are stalwarts. I mean, yeah, absolutely. of, of, of uh, media freedom. These are, these are wonderful examples of media freedom. Mm-hmm. And yet, and yet, they work for a company that mm-hmm. actively – Sort of rolls over mm. and allows the Chinese government so to. So, did you put the uncomfortable question to them? Did you put it to I them? Did. I did. Mm-hmm. I did. I asked Ferial and she referred me to an Asper's corporate spokesperson. Ooh, cop out. And I asked uh, Yanni Momberg, mm-hmm. editor in chief of News 24, mm-hmm. and Adrian Basson. Mm-hmm. And they both said um, that they didn't know enough about Tencent in order to comment. Now, I find this surprising for two reasons. One is that I provided them with information. Mm-hmm. So, the, you know, I sent links, mm-hmm. etc. They, they, all they had to do was read yeah. for a few seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, second of all, they work for Naspers. Mm-hmm. They, know Nas- they know where Naspers money is coming from. And indirectly, I don't know, you know, hold on, I'll get to that. But they, they know how important Tencent is. Mm-hmm. There's no way they don't have some inkling about what Tencent well, does. Effectively, subsidizing it's, a lot of the operations. Well, that's what I was, was going to ask right? you. You might know more about the economics, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure how, how it, you know, mm-hmm. um, is, is Naspers, is Media24 financially independent or, you know, sustainable on its own? Or is it, is it you know, is there money moving Back and forwards through the company. The, the last time I looked at uh, Naspers' uh, financial statements, I think mm. that uh, Media Twenty Four was still making profits. Um, but uh, if you take, uh, and this was the, and this is the, the, this the ratio that keeps popping up, this, the the metric mm. um, is that the the profits divided by the number of headcount in Media Twenty Four. Mm. You know, it it's, it generates something like. Ten percent of the profits, but has ninety percent of the employees of the group. Oh, really? You know, so it's kind of like, is it really oh, worth, worth this? You know, worth this thing. And there are, there have been rumours that mm. you know the new uh, CEO is, is keen to sort of start cutting sort of non-profitable operations. But I mean, they're still, you know, uh, th- those, are just, cool. those are just those are just rumours. Um, well, you know, put that so put those rumours into the, the, mm. this framework or this larger picture where. You see that Naspers itself is not committed mm. to mm. media freedom, free mm. speech, freedom of expression. That's not what drives mm. them. That's okay, I'm, you know. Mm. But it means for n- when they make decisions about News 24, mm. uh, Media 24, mm. that's, you know, uh, a commitment to media freedom is not going to be top of the mm. of, of the priority. Well, I, I mean, a, a, an extreme way of, of illustrating the example is if you could buy, sh- if they happen to own shares in ISIS, mm. Right, and uh, <laughs> yes. you know, they're just you know, well, it's it's a different country, different you know, different laws and stuff. You know, we we, we just go with the local go with lo- the local customs, go with exactly. The local customs, right? Um, um, it is a it is a cop out, and I was quite I was a little bit disappointed in mm-hmm. in Adrian Basson and Pearl Hafferji in particular for not engaging with this issue. I understand why they wouldn't, because yeah. it's uncomfortable and it's uh, yeah. I mean, you're basically a, having a go at your employer, exactly, right? uh, which is which is never good business. But I guess if you're in the uh, you know, if you're in the in the game of of pointing out and supporting media freedom, uh, I guess it does change the d- does change mm. the landscape, playing fields a bit. And what what you know, 
think of this from a South African government perspective. You know, you're getting this onslaught from the media about how you're trying to clamp down on freedoms and da da da. Um, and you've got Ferial Hafferji pointing her finger and shouting at you. And you just look at her and you think, well, I know where your salary is coming from. Mm. You know, you're perfectly content to, to let, let your operations be involved in it somewhere else. Mm. So I, I, it's perfect, you know, grounds to dismiss your arguments. Mm. It, it erodes at the, the foundations of, mm. of, of what independent media should be because actually, they're involved in dodgy business, which, which mm. damages their credibility. And, and not to say that, that this has happened or would happen, but what if there was a group company in, in Media24 mm. that was involved in something? You know, what is, well, what is know, the response? I, I spoke to Anton Harbour about mm. this as well. Mm. He's the, the Wits Journalism. Professor uh, Journalism yeah. at Wits University. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, of course, uh, you know, mm. one of the founders of the Mail and Guardian or one of the doyens of mm. journalism in this country. And he said um, – that he uh, he believes, according to his information, that, that Media24 companies have been told to go lightly on China. Um, wow. And he thinks that bears out in the copy. Um, and did he go on record saying that? Uh, he did. He did. Well, he did. Uh, that's good because you just repeated it yes, so, which yes. is obviously yeah. which is obviously yeah. um mm-hmm. i mean that's that's very interesting because of, you know obviously we're seeing the impact of mm-hmm. uh china chinese investment in south africa in the south african media as well uh and it's interesting to see the link you know through a direct shareholding you know where we've got uh Naspas holding a stake in tencent mm-hmm. uh i mean yeah, I mean, there are a lot of human rights atrocities that are being committed in, in China and violations that are happening. And, and here, you know, as long as we get our dividend check or let them, let them exactly. carry on, you know. And I mean, it's not just, you know, because NASP was also earned stakes in two state media organizations, um, in China. Mm. It's sort of equivalent of, uh, I don't know, do I don't think we really have them here, the sort of state private partnership. But, but, you know, editorially, I think we're looking at well, new, new age. In, independent, new, independent yeah, newspapers, new, independent new, newspapers age, new age, you know. Um, and that's what they're operating in, in China. ENCA. And you, the, it'll come to a point, and I think we've discussed this before in the show, um, where you've made the point that well, the, one of the ways in which the government controls media is not the laws, it's the, it's the advertising. It's, it's pulling those financial strings. Um, so when those financials, you know, when the balance gets out of whack and suddenly Naspers realizes, well, if we want to make a, keep making a profit, we have to go the independent mm-hmm. route. We have to go the new age route. Um, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't see them not going that route. Well, it, it, it is interesting and it's, it's actually become so blatant, um, that even the foreign media are reporting on that case in South Africa, uh, reading an article in Bloomberg a couple mm-hmm. of days ago, um, just talking about how, um, you know, the media is under threat from the government who wants total control of, of that. I mean, this is Bloomberg reporters are now reporting that. We've obviously talked about it internally. The protection of information bill has been sitting on Zuma's desk for over a year now. It's not going to go anywhere because they've seen the backlash, uh, mm-hmm. the constitutional challenges that, that we were prepared to make and go, well, it's actually easier and more subtle to, to kind of go the, the other route. And we're seeing the likes of government friendly organizations, um, you know, just growing. And if you combine the SABC with, Independent with the mm. New Age, with ANN Seven, uh, and now starting to meddle in e- e- ENCA, uh, along with all the radio stations that SABC control, y- you start making up a bigger and bigger chunk of what uh, what government can influence, and it's hugely important because media, what they publish, 
um, can affect elections, mm-hmm. can affect Absolutely. you know who gets uh, who gets appointed where, uh, and we we saw that in the last election, we saw a big shift in in urban in the urban vote, we saw a massive drop in support for the ANC in the urban vote, and the rural sector the support staying the same. And if you think of the kind of you know what is the one big difference between those two besides the infrastructure mm. that people are available to is is what do they get to read? What do they get to hear? What do they get to it's only SABC making it mm. out into the rural areas. Absolutely. And more independent and liberal media making it out into the urban centers. And as that rate of urbanization occurs or increases, you're going to see a bigger demand from from government wanting to control what goes out into the into the electronic mm-hmm. press, um, and and we and we're starting to see it. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's a massive problem. And we and again, even at, at the independent newspapers level, we've got um, you know we've got Chinese shareholders there. You know, uh, I didn't I didn't know that. I mean, they've helped fund the purchase of of independent. Did they really? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know, and and more money has been raised, and we've seen uh, the, the chairman of independent newspapers resigning to focus on his media assets. Um, so it's it's becoming a top top priority. Uh, we've run out of time for this week. I feel like I shrink every time I say that. It's been uh, great having you in studio. Uh, thank you for the intimate session, Simon Allison. <laughs> Always a pleasure to be. Uh, you can catch this podcast on the Daily Maverick website and cliffcentral.com website. Uh, and if you haven't yet, sign up to the uh, First Thing newsletter and Daily Dose newsletter. Uh, we look forward to being with you again next week.